Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, worship team. So good to see Jessie back today. We continue to pray for her complete healing in her body. Thank you for being here today. Once you out of prison, he takes the prison out of endured. For the present suffering will not compare to the glory which shall be revealed. We know that Paul is talking to the church that is under such overwhelming uh, persecution and that there is a greater uh, promise of the blessing and the glory of God that's not even comparable to the suffering that the church was enduring in Rome under the, under the tyranny of these bloodthirsty, antichrist-spirited rulers that were there. But today I want to talk to you about living free. And as we look here, in, in we're going to discover something. And, and I want you to just go with me on a journey. Once you look here in Luke 22, verse 10. And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. And when he, then you shall say to the master of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may meet, may eat the Passover with my disciples? And then he shall show you a large furnished Upper room there make ready. Now go with me to Acts 1, verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter, James, and John, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, these all continue with one accord in prayer and supplication with women and Mary and the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Now, you will describe. Case in point, just an example, God had Moses uh, give the design and they built the tabernacle. That tabernacle became the temple. And we understand, according to uh, Paul's writing, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Lord told David, said, David, you're not going to build my house, but there, I'm, you're gonna, the Father is going to bring all the supply for the Son to build the house. That Solomon was a foreshadowing of the Lord Jesus building his house. You, you kind of see where the patterns go. Well, so the Lord lays these things out so that we not only not miss it, but we understand the richness of God's word and his plan and his desire. So we see here that the Lord set forth feast in Israel. And there were three major feasts, and within those feasts were, were other feasts that were attached to it. But those feasts were centered around different harvests and harvest seasons. And in that, we have one time a year, all the males would, would, of age would return to Jerusalem. And in the, those times, they would celebrate these feasts. 
Passover, Pentecost, ingathering. Passover, Pentecost, ingathering. They would do this year after year after year after year. Passover was the first uh, reaping of the harvest. And included in Passover is the Feast of First Fruits. Now at Passover, we see that it was by no mistake that Jesus Christ came as the Passover lamb. And he was sacrificed on the day of Passover. But then on the third day, the day of first fruits, was more than a coincidence. It was more than happenstance. It was the divine order and plan and purpose of God. That Jesus rose on the third day, that he became the first fruits of all creation. The first harvest was Jesus, as he's the first fruit. Now, 50 days following that, that's where we get the term Pentecost. We didn't come up with it. Pentecost means 50. And you call yourself a Pentecostal, what are you saying? I'm, we're saying that we are spirit people. Because 50 days was the beginning of the wheat harvest. And at Pentecost, the Lord instructed them to wait in Jerusalem until what? Until you be endued with power from on high. That you may be a witness both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. Now, how are we going to be the, have the power to be the witness that we need to be in the day that we're living? Well, we're not doing this thing on our own. We have a witness of the Holy Spirit. And so we have here at the time where they repeated over and over, and God just somehow knew that people from all different tribes, uh, all different uh, uh, nations, uh, those that celebrated the Feast of Pentecost, they would all kind of be gathered in one place. And now there's, a, there's 120 people, and they're waiting upon the promise. They have no idea what to expect. They're really, they're really just waiting because God said, wait. Jesus showed himself 40 days and, and, and there upon earth, and 10 days before Pentecost, he ascended back into heaven. And we see that there for 10 days they waited upon God and they waited upon God. And then as a sound of a rushing mighty wind began to feel the room that they were sitting. And now we have the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So at Passover, we came to know Jesus. And at Pentecost, we came to know the Holy Spirit. Patterns become prophecy. Patterns become prophecy. So we've got a pattern going here. Passover, Pentecost. And then the last feast is at the end of the harvest season. It's the feast of ingathering of all the harvest. It's the end of all. So it stands to reason that there's one person of the Godhead. We're yet to become intimately... Uh, that's, there's going to be an encounter where ultimately at the end of the harvest age where all those children of God are going to be gathered to the Father, to His house, to His house. But I want you to notice something here. Where were the disciples Celebrating Passover. 
the upper room. That was at Passover. Where were the disciples at Pentecost? So I did a little study on the upper room. Now, the upper room is a, is a place where a typical Hebrew house, or those in biblical ancient days, the, the bottom floor would be pretty much your sleeping area. Did most of your cooking outside. And, but, you know, when the man came and he's needing, to, he's needing some bread because he's got some company, he's knocking on the bottom door and he's like, shh, go away, my family's asleep. Because everybody's living in this, this, this one room on the bottom. But see, the upper room, the upper area is where the family would meet and they would gather. It was a, it was a place where it was, it was secluded it, of communion with each family member. And so what I see in that is this. If the disciples are in the upper room at Passover, what are they doing? They were having the Lord's Supper that day. What were they doing? They were communing. It was a large room. It was furnished and waiting and ready for those disciples to get up there to commune with the Lord. And now we've got Pentecost where they're up there, and it's a pretty good-sized room because there's 120 people up there, and they're at that place. for. Were they just standing around? Were they, were they fasting? No, I believe they were just waiting, and I believe there was some meals that took place. I believe there were some times where they were sitting around the table, and maybe in the break, in the intermediate time during the prayer, it's like, what's going to happen? I don't know. Let's just keep waiting. Here, you want a bite of bread? Oh, look, what do, you, what do you think? I don't know, but here, you want to drink a water? They were communing with one another, waiting on the communion of, with the Holy Spirit. And God poured His Spirit out. And there was an awareness of the second of the, or the, the Trinity, the, the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, and His enabling power. So it stands to reason if the disciples were in the upper room at Passover, the disciples were in the upper room at Pentecost, it seems to me that the disciples in the last day should be in the upper room with God. What does that mean spiritually for you and I? It means there is a communion that God is inviting and welcoming his church into. It is the place between heaven and earth. It, it's beyond the, the, the area of the, of the lower quarters. It is a, it is a place of, that we find ourselves in. Because what we see throughout the ages of the church is there's been a, the knowledge of Christ and there's been a knowledge of the Holy Spirit but I do believe that there is a knowledge of the Father that's going to be re released uh, through the sonship of Jesus Christ in these last days uh, that's going to change and revolutionize uh, generations and nations. I believe so much in it that I have banked uh, my heart on the fact uh, that God is going to reach uh, this next generation uh, in this city, in every city. God is going to move by his power and by his spirit that this generation comes to know him now this is the text I want to read to you as we talk about living free and the revelation and the revealing of the father I want you to look at John 17 John 17 
Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. Now get this. This is the crux of the whole message right, right here. This is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. According to Jesus' own word in his priestly prayer, what does he define as eternal life? To know the Father. John alone gives 118 references to the Father, to the Heavenly Father in the book of John. John, I would believe, would, would, he would gladly and heartily say, I am dedicating this book by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I'm dedicating my works. I'm dedicating my labor and my life to what Jesus Christ meant and desired and wanted to bring to earth is the kingdom of God so that the sons of God may understand who they are in the Father, in the Son, and in the Holy Spirit. See, God wants you to know him. He wants you to know him. Jesus came to reveal the Father. I'm telling you, I had conversation before life class, and then my wife just getting all over my message this morning. They even quoted the scripture. 1 John 1.18. <laughs> Now, no one has seen God at any time until the Son came. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. That word declare is exegete. He has come. What is exegete? It is a critical explanation and interpretation. In other words, you think you may know someone, but the one who really knows them can give you a critical explanation and an interpretation. You may not always understand God. You may not always, uh, you may have other outside information telling you why you're in your situation and who God is to you and for you. But Jesus said, look, that's not going to do. I will show up. I will stand on earth. I will declare to the humans because I am human and I am God. I will tell you who the Father is. He, I won't leave it to somebody else to define me. I will define myself. So he's come to reveal. Why is that so important to you and I? Because, folks, the Father, we see this in sociological and psychological studies. You understand that the Father is the one who gives the identity to the children. Now, mamas, we had a great exposition on the birth of a child and how we fathers don't understand, and nor would we want to. 
Yeah, honey, you do you, okay? <laughs> you going to do you. <laughs> first contraction in the first child, it lasted so long in the first in the, in the delivery room. And Andrew looked over to me and she said, I just tasted eternity. <laughs> <laughs> I stumped my toe and I think I'm, I'm going to have to be delivered or something. Okay. But see, we find out that identity, Father, we play a large role in the formation and the foundation of those children. It is a godly role. It is a God-ordained role that he's given us that we would reflect our Heavenly Father. There's no mistake in the fact that we as Americans, United States of America, is the most fatherless nation in the world. That is a direct, blatant attack against children, families, society, the kingdom. But it is also a blatant, all-out assault against the identity of those children. We're talking about living free. Let me tell you, folks, liberation comes from identification. Liber if you want to live free, you've got to know who lives inside of you. And you've got to know who you are. In him, Amen. and you got to know the son that lives on the inside of you that declares to you, uh, to your heart, and to all the world, uh, cries out from you, Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy, I am yours and you are mine. And it's time, folks, uh, that we stop allowing the world to tell us who we are, and it's time that we stop allowing the generation that we should be nurturing to come up and tell it, letting culture define who they are as we look here we see studies and I, I I ran across this and I believe it is it is noteworthy fatherhood is an identity shaping vocation did you get that fatherhood is an identify shaping vocation whether he does so consciously or not a dad tells his child who and what to become. The child is significantly defined by the father's manner of relating to him. By his actions, his attitude toward his child, the father projects an identity onto the child so that he grows up to think and feel about himself according to his father's enacted vision of him. Day by day, Hour by hour, a bequeathing of character occurs in the fathering process. Now, it doesn't mean that that child will not rebel. It doesn't mean that that child will not come under some outside influence. But our children have a greater chance 
of following in the identity. We can't make the choices for them. I would tell my children over and over, as much as I want to, I cannot, I cannot make your choices. You are coming to an age, and you will have to make the choice. God has children, but he doesn't have grandchildren. <laughs> he has sons and he has daughters. It's a, first, it's a first generation each time. Are you hearing me? I wish that many times we could help others get into the kingdom of God by our sacrifice, but it doesn't work that way. You have to have the choice. You have to make the choice. But what I want to give them and pass on to them is a foundation that is firm and sure and planted upon the rock of God because I'm going to commit to the level I want them to be committed. I'm going to pray to the level I want them to pray. I'm going to pursue to the level I want them to pursue because I want to give them something that when they take it, it's not tainted. It's not weaved in brokenness and victimization. It's not a genome that comes from this earth, but it's a genome that comes from Almighty God that when it's released in them it causes them to take an identity that God has purpose for them. See the identity folks textbook definition of identity is the fact of being who a person is. <laughs> Just the fact of being who a person is. Well, I'm not this sexual orientation, I'm that sexual orientation. I'm not this, I'm that. I'm not this, I'm that. And before we start throwing stones at a generation who's lost their identity, we need to stop a minute and hold those thoughts. Because they were born into a world they did not create. The most profound blessing our spirit needs to receive and can receive is the Father's heart of God. This special creation of us, His special creation of us, His kind intentions toward us, His matchless love toward us, His glory revealed in us. This is the gold mine of identity and legitimacy from which to live out our birthright confidently and purposefully. Amen? So I want you to see something as we look a little further in this study here. We'll get back to this in just a minute. I want you to I want to make sure I hit this. You look up very simply and easily, you can see a reference of the upper room. I gave you three references, or two, in which there we have Passover and Pentecost. You find out that Daniel went to his upper room when the decree was declared, you're not going to pray anymore. 30 days, you can't pray. He's like, eh, I'm going to do what I did yesterday and the day before, the day before. <laughs> I'm just going to keep, I, I can't forsake my private place with God. I can't, I can't forsake that communion. I, I know I'm living in Babylon, and I know things are crazy, and I, I know there's culture all around me, and there's all these images of what I should be doing or who I should be, but I don't take my identity from all of that. I take my identity from the one who has identified me, and I'm just going to say I'm going to keep living in liberty, and no matter what it 
it takes or what it costs. And so he goes back to that place. Let me tell you, I've heard those tell me that, that believe that, you know, the, the, the pre-rapture, uh, the pre-tribulation rapture, that they just give their head and when they get into the tribulation. Let me tell you, if you can't get your butt on a seat, you're not going to give your head in the tribulation. They put her in the upper place, the upper room. They went in there and Peter said, get up. And she got up. Huh? Something to do. Yeah, you got to serve the meal. Come on. Don't be a deadhead. Get up. <laughs> I'm hungry. Come on. <laughs> be an obedient woman. Get up. Have I been with you? I enter into you and you become one with the, with the Father on the basis of purpose and sonship. Amen? Another occurrence that takes place in the upper room. Elijah raised the widow of Zarephath's son in the upper room. Son dies. It's placed in the upper room. I want to get into the blade upon, eye upon eye, hands upon hand, mouth upon mouth. You're going to wake up. You're going to see different, speak different. You're going to act different. And then we have, and I believe that Elisha, following Elijah, the son that was there, the Shunammite son, dies. And she takes her son into what place? The upper room. That place of intimacy, that place she had prepared. And Elisha did what Elijah did. And he raised that boy from the dead by the power of who was seeking into deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and Paul continued speaking, and he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down, fell upon him, embraced him, and said, Do not trouble yourself, for his life is in him. Now when he had come up, had broken bread and eaten, and talked a long while, even till daybreak, he departed, and they brought the young man in alive, and they were all not a little comforted. Praise God. It seems to me more than coincidence that Elijah raises a dead son back to life, that Elisha raises a dead son back to life, and now we have in the New Testament context uh, an upper room experience uh, where now there is a raising of a, of a son back to life. So it tells me God's up to something. Remember, what is the purpose of the upper room? The upper room is the intimate communion that we have with God. It is the knowledge that we receive. What is eternal life? That we may know the Father and that we may know the Son in whom He has sent. Now, as I look at the comparisons, we see that Elijah and Elisha, both boys, died outside the upper room and were brought to the upper room. 
But there was a boy, Eutychus, who was sitting too close to the edge. And he fell asleep in the upper room. And he fell to his death. And my heart aches with the fact that there's a generation that is sitting too close to the edge. And many have fallen from the place that the church should have been protecting. My God, if your gospel doesn't reach the next generation, you have missed it. If the children in this generation are not on our heart, then do we feel the heart of the Father? I've got to get to the place, church, where there's a generation that has fallen because they were unprotected. And we don't need to keep pointing fingers at them and say, yeah, that's what you deserve. My God in heaven, I know that this is not the heartbeat of the church because this is not the heartbeat of the Father. And folks, we got to fall upon them until they come back to life. And we take them out of that street where they have fallen and take them back into the room and let them hear the rest of the message. <laughs> Paul was not being indulgent. He was about to go. He was going to Jerusalem. He was going to be carried away. He wasn't going to see them ever again. He had to take his place. He said, this is my moment. I've got to seize it. This is the one opportunity I have. I've got to give you everything right now to instill the foundation you need in order for you to accomplish the will of God. I'm not talking to hear my head rattle. I'm speaking life into you and identity into you because it's in the sun, folks, that we discover who we are. We discover as the Father sent the Son for what reason? So that we may have the power to become the sons of God. John 1 and 14. The Word of God became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory. The glory the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. See, He gives us in John 1 and 12 as many as believe in Him. He gives the ability to become the sons of God so that we stop. Do you, you know why the Lord, in the Word of God, it talks about idols, but another word they use in place of idols is image. And the psalmist says, as many as worship these man-made created images, they become like them. Their ears become deaf. Their, ear, their eyes are blind. They are immobile. They don't move. All they are is, is motionless figures. What happens when we take our identity from culture? We lose hearing. We lose sight. We lose speech. And we become motionless images. And the Lord said, have no other image before me. Tear it down. Destroy it. Take away. Because you don't need the world telling you who you are. You don't need your broken circumstance telling you who you are. You don't need your hurt and your pain driven into your heart as a result of who you are. You are not the sum total of your failures. You are the sum total of the successes of God. And you are a child of God. You're a son and daughter of the Most High God. 
That's who you are. See, the son, Jesus said, when you pray, I want you to get on your knees and I want you to pray like this. Oh, unreachable, untouchable, most sacred high God who is ready to stomp me out and make me a big flat smudge on the ground because that's all I deserve. Oh, no. If you are reading that Bible, rip it up. I give you permission right now. Throw it in the trash. Burn it so nobody else gets a hold of it. He said, when you pray, I want you to pray like this. Our Father. Our Father. Who art in heaven. Hallowed. My God, you are so holy. Your name is holy. My God, your name causes devils to tremble, Lord God. Your name, Lord God, brings assaults of the enemy to a halt. Your name, Almighty God, is what we walk in. That's our identity. Who are you? I'm a child of God. I don't identify with the old man. I'm living in the new man. And the new man is born after the Spirit of the Lord. And he is alive today. See, it's in the identity of the Father. See, that's where we begin to understand John 15 and 16. You did not choose me. I chose you. Brian, you didn't choose God. God chose you. Andy, you didn't choose God. God chose you, and 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 you. Grace, you didn't choose God. God purposely chose you. You're chosen of God. Liz, you're chosen. Travis, D, you're chosen. Angel, you're chosen. You did not choose God. He chose you. Now, if he chose us, Randall, don't you think he's got the right to identify us? Mike, I called you to preach. I don't want to preach. I don't even like to talk. I do. I wouldn't want to be married to me. (laughs) Kalijah was one of my distant relatives. (laughs) You you know what I'm talking about? Wooden Indian. Kalijah. My mother was told one time she was on a job and she was supposed to be the greeter or something and, and the, her boss called her, she's very quiet too, <laughs> called her Kalijah. <laughs> I thought, that's an honest assessment. <laughs> you know, like, Lord, I don't want to preach. I don't even like to talk. Quiet by nature. I just, just I'm an introvert. I just like to think on things. Amen. Well, I said, I didn't choose you to be quiet and sitting on your side, and I'm not talking about your personality and your preferences. I told you, get up and preach. I said, okay, Father, I'm who you say I am. Well, see, we understand when God says you're going to do this because this is who you are and this is who I purpose you to be and I will take what you have and I will use it for my kingdom. Now all of a sudden, I'm not who I was. I am someone else because someone else lived on the inside of me and my identity is not in who I was. My identity is in who he is. 
Jesus said, this is John again, John 20 and 21. And Jesus said to them again, peace to you as the Father has sent me. I'm sending you. Jesus laid down his life for those that, for the Father's sake. It was the very purpose of God, the Lord Jesus, to come to this earth and he laid himself down so that you and I may become the, the children of God so that we can know who we are. And it's not what the world says we are. And there's a generation that is fatherless. And they don't have the natural foundation and the importation of a father that would say, declare to them, you are this and not that. Or fathers that don't know the Lord are declaring to their children and, and, and bequeathing upon them, or they're not giving, but they are, they are imparting to them an identity that's not real. But there's something powerful when you realize that natural fathers are just that they're natural fathers they should reflect but they don't always reflect the heavenly father and they can't reflect in the perfection of the father we, we know that I wasn't even asking God one day in a altar service and pastoring first church and he just Spoke it to me. I think it was in the altar and I was, I think of that moment so many years ago. I was just grieving over the loss of my father. He was, my dad was an alcoholic, pot smoking truck driver. And I thought, that's what I want to be. <laughs> I want to drink beer and smoke pot and drive trucks. <laughs> and then I came to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I thought, nah, it's not what I want at all. But I was grieving because my father took his life when I was 14 years old and he was 40. Drank his last six beers, laid down in the garage, and he ended his life with a 38 revolver. So, you know, you carry that with you. And you get understanding. You grow up fast in a home that is all chaotic. You grow up fast. You start perceiving. You start looking. You start understanding. But there was such deep, overwhelming regret in my father that he could not find forgiveness and so he took matters in his own hand so I'm sitting here in the altar and I'm just I'm grieving over the fact that knowing that my father killed himself and not you know all intents and purposes could potentially be in in hell so I'm grieving and the father speaks he said son I am your true father. There was a formation of my inner self I cannot explain. There was a transformation 
that took place in me that day. Because my voice, the voice of my father spoke to me who I was. You are mine. You belong to me. This is your identity. And it's been a few decades, but I have, you know, I'm starting to walk in it a little bit. Amen? <laughs> Are you, I'm being a little facetious, but you understand what I'm saying. It's, it's so rich and so real that you get to the place where you're just like, oh my God in heaven, if the world could know, if the generations could know, if the transgenders could know, if the homosexuals could know, if the lesbians could know, if the adulterers could know, if the drug addicts could know, if the businessmen could know, if the teller at the bank could know, if the checker at Walmart could know, if, any, if the teacher in the schoolroom could know, if the professor at the college could know, if they could just know who they belong to. This is eternal life. That you may know the Father and that you may know the one whom the Father has sent. There were three sons and one daughter raised from the dead in that upper room. Eutychus fell to his death from the position of the upper room. But the prophet went down. The apostle went down. And that apostolic voice picked him up, carried him back to his rightful place. And I don't think Eutychus perched himself in the window again. Just a guess. Just a guess. And I think there was a few uh, parents that are around like, boy, you ain't to get over here and sit down. This ain't happening. Death bought you once. Shame on death. Death bought you twice. You're all on your own. Amen. I'm going to go back to as the worship team makes their way up. We're going to do two things in closing today. I'm going to pray over the team before, before uh, this is going to Mexico. Because you know what we're going to be doing in Mexico? Primarily we're going to be we're doing three days of mega sports camp in three different communities. We're just going to be sharing the love of the Father to children. We're going to have, we're going to have three uh, church services for adults while we're there in three different villages. And what will we be doing? We're going to be sharing the love of the Father. But this morning, the Father spoke in this room to someone in this house. I think many someones. He senses your brokenness. He senses your brokenness. And he wants you to feel and know his love. He wants to embrace you. 
There's a gentleman sitting in this room today. I won't call him out because I didn't ask permission. But he told me in and out of church, it wasn't until he had the revelation of God's love before that transformation in his life took place. What I'm offering you today is the heart of the Father reaching out to you to reveal to you his love for you and for you to take your identity in that love and nothing else. Amen? I want you to stand all across this room. Father, we magnify your name. Holy, holy, holy is the everlasting God. Holy is the everlasting God. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the appeal this way. If you need to be embraced by the Father's love, then I'm going to ask you to come on down. You just need the embrace of the Father's love. Take your identity. Just come on down right now. Come on. Come on. Come on. You just need him to wrap his arms around you and say, I love you. I chose you. You're mine. You're mine. This is who you are. You are mine. You don't belong to the world. You don't belong to the devil. You don't belong to your mistakes. You belong to me. You are mine. I need some... I need some men and women of God to do 